Hi everyone and welcome to The Science of Storytelling, the podcast that explores the most unique and engaging content collaborations between publishers and advertisers. I'm Jared Grimm. This week on the show we're chatting with two guests, Nina Van Brandt and Nick Heitz from Mike. Last year Mike partnered with Dove to help them further their message that beauty should be for everyone. One piece, titled Mastectomy Scars, told the story of a woman who had a double mastectomy. The emotional and uplifting collaboration shows how a thought-provoking story can change minds about a brand, a disease, and how we see beauty all together. We talked to Nina and Nick about how their campaign with Dove came together, why every content company should build a brand newsroom, and whether I'm allowed to call myself a millennial. Stay tuned. Nina, Nick, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having us, Jared. Yeah, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and let our listeners learn more about you. So, Nina, I'm going to start with you. Can you talk to me about how you got into the media business to start with? Yeah. So I started in media and actually at a very different place than I am now. I started in media as an ad ops coordinator at a at Publicis's internal trade desk for programmatic advertising. Mm. I taught myself Excel and retaught myself math to become an analyst because that seemed like a very interesting thing to do at the time, um, but didn't necessarily fit with my film production major from college uh, or working in you know independent film production before that or video production. So that's where I started, but it was really so that I could get a really good micro-level view of how everything worked. Um, I thought that it was a really interesting way to start to understand the digital industry, um, knowing what every lever does um, in order to understand from a, a more macro level why things are. That being said, I'm, I'm not a, an analyst mm. um, in my heart, so I needed something a little bit more creative, and that's where Mike came in. Um, I got to meld that creative side and the analytical side and bring that to Mike and build the insights team there. That That's not to say that I didn't have a hundred billion different titles in between yeah. <laughs> because it is a startup. Um, and we were, you know, we were all a team or are all a team that are all hands on deck people that I was doing millennial research um, in order to inform the kind of sales or pitches that we would be doing. And right. then moved into um, building our actual content insights team because that seemed very important at a place that was creating so much content. At that point, we were still very, very written heavy, um, publishing, I think, 80 articles a day. And that's how I kind of came into the industry. And from there, did a bunch of different projects along the way, but ended at where I am now, really diving headfirst into how content fits into this marketing and advertising space and how storytelling fits into that, um, which is now the new term branded content. Which probably leans a little bit more towards what you majored in in school, which is, like you said, filmmaking? Yes, I was a film production major, so it's actually much more aligned with that, but it still has that whole strategy element, um, and the program is built off of the editorial insights that my team put together um, basically best practices from a data-driven standpoint yeah. for content. Um, but I manage a team of editor, video editors, writers, um, producers. So it is much more aligned with what yeah. I started out with, but it's 
the education that I've gotten along the way has only made me stronger. Brand content is one of these <clears throat> weird spaces where it's not just math, it's not just art, it's like a mix of everything and you need all of these different different people that are involved with the program. So Nick, passing over to you, uh, same thing, were you a film major? <laughs> no, so I was your classic case of a government major turned uh, media person. I remember when I used to go to the dentist in college and the dentist would ask me what I was majoring in and I'd say government. He'd say, oh, is that poli-sci? And I'd say, yes, just that. The school I went to, it's not called that. And they'd go, oh, you can't wait to have you come in and be the next president. And it was just like the classic line. And okay. Obviously, I'm not doing that, so I'd always roll my eyes. Um, but as you probably won't be surprised to hear, based on the conversation we were having before we started recording, um, big sports fan. When I was in college, um, I really wanted to be the next president of Madison Square Garden or the commissioner of the NHL. Uh, always have had very lofty goals. Those were probably a little too lofty. Um, so first ever internship was at... Madison Square Garden um, when they were doing what they called their transformation, but it was their renovation when they were making it um, from being old and antiquated to new and amazing, um, supporting the team who was doing the premium suite sales. Um, so a very interesting role, which conducted uh, many things. One of the favorite was test um, eating the cupcakes that they would bring into the Swedes. So um, that definitely didn't make me in shape when I came back from my senior year, but it was uh, pretty good. Um, fast forward to that, I, I kind of continued on the sports path um, and then ultimately landed at Turner Sports, um, working in their TV ad sales department. So NBA on TNT, March Madness, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I was there, Turner actually acquired Bleacher Report, um, which is now one of the biggest sports digital native publications out there and they're doing a lot of amazing things and when I saw that Turner had acquired them I just kind of saw this like cool new disruptive innovative thing and said to myself how can I go work on that because it seems like the next cool thing and I want to figure out what they're doing and how I can learn from it so I actually moved over to the digital team was working on Bleacher Report um, for about a year and, and learned all sorts of amazing things which I'll definitely cherish forever um, and then kind of during that time I was introduced to Mike they had just been rebranded from Policy Mike um, mm -hmm. so with big ambitions to kind of continue on this path of being a forward-thinking um, digital publisher who really wanted to capture the mind and attention of this generation who felt as if legacy media wasn't serving them in terms of stories that matched their vernacular and on the platforms where they spent the majority of their time. Um, so went to Mike, was one of the first salespeople there, um, had a, a massive list of terms of territories and brands that I was calling on, um, and then fast forward to today, and I'm running the sales team nationally um, and have just had, you know, so many amazing memories and experiences from the time here. And I'm super excited about what's ahead. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Mike. So uh, not everyone knows, but it did. It started as Policy Mike. So can you talk a little bit about how Mike started, the, the foundational story behind Mike? Yeah, so I'm the origin story guy um, who's been doing it for over four years. Uh, the company was founded in 2011 as Policy Mike. Um, the thesis back then was that, as I mentioned, legacy media companies weren't really embracing distributed platforms like Facebook and Twitter, and this is even before Instagram, um, in a way that really was primed to be done. And then from kind of a, you know, topicality perspective, they weren't really um, talking about the things that this up-and-coming generation of 
progressive forward thinking people really wanted to, you know, have in, in kind of their mind as they look to make the world a better place and really reshape the world. Um, our first ever motto was reshape the world, which turned into rethink the world. Um, and now today our purpose is to reveal and amplify stories for change makers who reshape the world. I'm, I'm curious. So Mike obviously had uh, a really strong view on news for millennials and, and talking to millennials. So what does, you mentioned millennial research. So what does millennial research look like? It can look, millennial research can look so different depending on what you're looking at, what question you're looking at, what source you're reading. It was actually eye-opening to find out that none of the demographics, the generations, yeah actually have any definitive times, mm. time constraints. It's really all just made up marketing speak. Right. So millennials start out as an 18 to 34, but as you go along in time, just right. like a timeline, they stay 18 to 34 and you're like, mm, you're five years <laughs> yeah, behind. Right. Um, so, and just to touch on this though, millennials from a demographic standpoint, some of them are turning 37, 38 years old right now, have kids in a house in the suburbs. And I doubt a lot of marketers are like, you know who we need to reach is this really young 38-year-old that has three kids and a Volvo. And I'm specific, that's a very specific reference to somebody who is on this podcast on this side of the table. Uh, but, but it's such a broad target and it ages. That, that group ages. So do you keep refocusing on the next generation? Or do you move along with the, the generation that grew up with you? So we've actually had that conversation. We, we had that conversation internally as a brand, even um, as we were growing up too, because um, we are, are all company of millennials. Um, and we actually evolved, and I was glad that we're touching back on this. Um, the millennial research that we were doing, we realized, is not necessarily confined to just the actual age demographic of a millennial, it's a millennial mindset. And it's the people who care about those types of things that are attributed to a millennial. Um, and we, that's how we grew up, but decided to grow as a brand. We also are a brand that represents inclusivity. And we didn't want that to have any confines of age on it. If you are 70 and you feel that millennial mindset, then we would like you to enjoy our content as well. If you're 17 and you are socially active the way that a millennial might be, then we want you to be engaging with our content as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just a quick build on that. I think, um, you know, five or so years ago, um, everyone, every marketer, every advertising person was waking up in the morning saying, what is this millennial generation? There are, you know, so many of them, they have so much discretionary income and we just need to reach millennials. And we're kind of taking this blanket approach. Then when you actually start to dive into that roughly 84 million number, um, you start to realize that it's an incredibly diverse generation and that you mm -hmm. can't speak to them as if they're all a one size fits all approach. So to Nina's point, really starting to kind of figure out what is the mindset within that generation that can cut across demographics, um, figure out what that is, how we can really continue to build a, a media company that tells stories geared towards that mindset um, in a way to truly differentiate ourselves. Because I always like to, you know, think about if I'm meeting with a partner and I'm in their seat and they're probably meeting with, you know, a ton of uh, 
salespeople, for lack of a better term, and every one of them today is saying how they're XYZ number one for millennials. And it's like, you guys all can't be number one for something. So yeah. we said, let's stop talking about the M word, start talking about a mindset and really kind of own who we are there so that we're actually differentiated. Yeah. It's challenging though, because as much as uh, I think we all agree that uh, Mark and an entire generation and not even just like the generations don't happen in 25 year chunks. Like they're a new generation is born every day. Uh, but I think baby boomers would probably say the same thing. They're like, we're not all the same. We're not all like buying places in Florida and like, you know, driving golf carts around. Although I don't know if that's what they're saying about baby boomers, but I think it's something like that. Uh, I, I think mind being a baby boomer every, the life. Right? every generation is probably uh, painted with a certain brush. And I think it's easier to form marketing messages towards them if you can group it all into one stereotype. Uh, but the challenge is, is that a lot of the advertising side also needs to group things together to be able to make decisions on how to market to different communities of people. Uh, so let's talk a little bit, uh, let's shift into how brands work with Mike. So Mike is this, you know, purpose-driven publication, reaching an audience that was likely underserved around certain topics that have a certain mindset. Uh, why is Mike appealing to certain brands and which types of brands uh, seem to resonate best with Mike. Yeah, and going back to the the purpose um, that I mentioned earlier, when we're in meetings and we're introducing Mike to people for the first time who are not familiar with them beyond just seeing the the logo in their news feeds or on their URLs, um, we really like to lead with our purpose and commitments and then actual our editorial stories that are indicative and powered by those really using them as their um, continuous North Star. So I think when we really look into it, um, the content is really meant to educate, to embrace diversity, to embrace inclusivity, uh, and really empower our users as they consume the content. So when we can double down on those areas, including, you know, real beauty, which we'll talk about more as it relates to Dove and sustainability um, and the future of work and technology and personal finance through the end lens of a young person who doesn't necessarily have their financial education up to speed with where they want it um, and really lead with that as kind of the why as why we're speaking with our partners. It helps kind of set the foundation so that we're not this just massive company who's going to be a chameleon and say that we're everything for everyone, but rather take our values, identify brands who have those shared values, and then really use that as the foundation for everything we do. We like to, and again, to the point of not lumping everyone into one category, it's helpful to personify different brands. And Mike has its own personality, which is the trusted voice, um, the smart friend that you go to that's not going to talk down to you. They're going to talk to you. Um, you're going to learn something new and you're going to want to tell it to other people. And often you'll learn something that you wouldn't have been able to learn somewhere else, which is the whole underrepresented voices element and the purpose of the purpose driven element of what Mike really stands for. And then in terms of how brands work with us, they can work with us in a number of different ways. Um, but I think the reason why we're here is because of the brand newsroom program, which really took that values driven ethos that we have and matched it up with brands that also have that values driven ethos um, and figured a way to bring that to life in a way that resonated with both our viewers and hopefully on a broader scale as well. Um, but I think leaning into our storytelling 
our understanding of integrity in a story um, and our ability to adapt to viewers and consumers in such a reactive and data-driven and smart way is how and why brands work with us now. Right. And the brand newsroom, I find that really an interesting concept. So in a practical sense, what is a brand newsroom look like what is, is there people there is there like screens on the wall what's happening what's what is a brand newsroom so brand newsroom is a program that um we started coming up on two years ago now um and we really we were trying to solve for a couple of different not problems or issues we we're trying to solve for a couple of things um it's very difficult to monetize because it's not guaranteed that an advertiser is going to always know that what we have on our site is brand safe, which mm -hmm. is totally fair. Yeah. So we needed to figure out a way to capitalize on what we were really good at, which is journalistic integrity, engaging storytelling, and reaching that audience that we've been talking about, the mic audience. And our solution was, okay, then if we can't bring a brand into the news, let's make the news about the brand. Mm. So Brand Newsroom is a program that makes that it makes them a trusted voice in a conversation that they want to have relevance in rather than the topic of conversation right. in that space mm -hmm. because that's not something that viewers can connect to anymore and we're in a very opt-in or opt-out world and you need to my, my mom always says this about relationships and right now brands need to make a relationship build a trusted relationship with their consumers and their viewers in a very different way um, my mom always says, you need to speak to someone in the way that they can hear you, not in the way that you want to say it. Um, and that's what we're doing. We're helping a brand take their initiatives and editorialize them so that the people who they want to reach can hear it in a much easier and much more engaging way that builds genuine <clears throat> trust and interest in whatever they're talking about. I love that your mom is probably going to be super happy to have her advice on a podcast oh about gosh. branded content, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder if she was speaking specifically about branded content when she said that. Yeah, no, she's been telling me since I was 11 <laughs> right. um, advice about branded content. Yeah, she, so. she is way beyond her years. Yeah. And mom, I love you, but you didn't tell me what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> Nina captured the kind of uh, essence and spirit of Brand News Room beautifully. I think when you look at it on the business side, um, a lot of publishers right now are, are fighting what is called branded content churn, where um, branded content is not necessarily the absolute must-buy item for marketers. Um, a lot of marketers are investing in more lower funnel tactics that allow them to actually see real-time ROI. So for publishers who are playing in the mid to upper funnel space, where it's more storytelling, you really need an ad product that can justify the investment. So I think what we saw happening when we were really at the advent of branded content was that we were doing, you know, these six month long programs where you're working with your agency partners, you're working with your client partners and everyone's working over time and you're putting all this time and effort into it. And at the end of the day, you have three branded videos. You're depending on platforms, first party reported metrics. And the summary slide is essentially just comparing to benchmarks that don't even mean anything. Right. So when we were thinking of Brand Newsroom, we were thinking of it from kind of a why Mike lens, but also a why the marketplace in 2017 lens. Um, so part of the tactical piece is really 
you know, getting to this program when it's in a state of nirvana where you have really high output of, of, of volume of content. Um, and when you can do that, you actually start to drive really meaningful insights in terms of the beats and narratives that are truly resonating with the brand, as well as deep learning agendas. And you can get into a cadence where you're having your quarterly business reviews so that you can actually see what's working what's not working, and then iterate from there. Whereas in the tried and true branded content model, because it was really just tied to a low piece of content that was typically planned for in advance, yeah. you don't get to do that. Right. And let me, I guess I should, I didn't really explain what it actually looks like in application, so I'll back up and explain yeah, what sure. it looks like. Mike believes in an adaptive approach. So if you're making, if you're doing a story, that story needs to be told in different ways on different platforms. So a story on Facebook can be a little bit longer. We found a very, we found a perfect sweet spot based on our actual analytics that allows us to really figure out where the engagement drop-off is, um, where interest lies, et cetera. But that's going to be more story-driven. On Instagram, you need something that's definitely more visual. And you'll probably include different shots um, that you wouldn't normally have added in because it's still at its heart, a photography platform that you really want to visually take in versus story taken. Yeah, you'll be able to cut things up into different ways to be able to get that same story out there, regardless of format. Exactly, regardless of format. So the volume that Nick is talking about is astronomical as compared to a traditional branded content model, which is you might get four pieces of content in six months. This is, you could get four pieces of content a week. And they will be based off of what we've seen in the past two weeks. And we're going to A-B test things. Maybe the opening needs to change. Maybe we need your brand to come in later because you want it that way. Maybe we want it to come in earlier because this is an initiative that you really want to get your name out there for. But um, we have a team of producers who are assigned to a brand so that that's their beat. Just like a journalist. Yeah. So if my beat is fintech, their beat would be, for example, Dove. Well, yeah, and let's talk about Dove. So I think this is a a good lead-in to a campaign, uh, an amazing campaign, and really unique, I think, in the branded content space because it covers uh, issues that maybe aren't discussed or situations in people that isn't often discussed. So uh, Nina, could you speak to the campaign the client, what it was about, give all the listeners a view of what this was. Um, yeah, so the Dove program has been absolutely incredible to build and work on. Um, working with Dove has been an incredible experience. Um, I mean, they're so ahead of the curve in so many different ways in terms of advertising and branded content or brand marketing. Um, and th- so they've been really innovating since the beginning of the 20th century, in my opinion. The Dove program that we have with, or the the program that we work on with Dove, that we've built with Dove, um, was conceived between us, um, an agency called, a strategy agency called Blood, owned by you and Mr. Jones, and obviously the Dove client themselves. We produce a high volume of content for them based around the beats and the narratives that we've worked on with them, just with any, the same with any brand that we work with. We take their brand and marketing and comms and business objectives, put an editorial lens over it, and then find stories that will resonate with their audience and get their messaging out that way. We're so lucky with Dove because they have so much brand education 
um, on themselves. They really know who they are, what they stand for, what their values are, who their audience is. So it makes it really seamless to integrate into the program that we already have. And they already do such incredible initiatives on their own that we've got an archive of stories to tell just from them. They're also incredibly open to experimenting, which is wonderful because Mm -hmm. branded content is always changing and shifting. Um, And storytelling takes some risk sometimes. Um, So I think one great example of a story that we've done with them is a piece that we did on for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. By no means were they asking for us to tell this story, but the Nature and True Partnership, we said, because we've gotten so much education on you, because we know exactly what you stand for, we know your DNA, we've found this story about a woman who had a double mastectomy who is now talking about how she feels about her beauty. And we think that this is being an incredible story for you to bring to your audience and to your viewers. And it ended up being a wildly successful video um, in a number of different ways. And how did you, that's interesting that because Dove, you know, is in this space and they're looking for these stories quite often. uh, How was it that Mike was able to uncover a story, uh, which I think is the interesting idea behind this brand newsroom, is that it feels to me the way a reporter would look for a story. And so is that... Is that how it functioned? Like, how did the story, how was the story found? That's exactly how it functioned, actually, Jared. It was um, our producer going out. Our producers are basically brand journalists. That's how we frame it. Um, They are sourcing stories. They have pitches every week, the same way a reporter does. They just have a different beat Mm -hmm. and better funding (laughs) for their video. So our producer was within her beat. She was thinking about what she could do. You know, this is another tentpole that's coming up. We build an editorial calendar with every brand. Here are the moments that are important to you. Here are the moments that are important to your audience. Here are the moments that are important to, you know, the general population. And she said, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. What can we do? Because that's such an important thing. And so much of our audience lives there. What can we do? And she brought that pitch forward. Dove took a chance um, because that's not necessarily something all brands would do, but they, again, are always on the cutting edge. Um, and we went out and did the story and it's just like an editorial piece. Right. Well, and this is what's amazing sometimes. Uh, branded content, sponsored content, native content, whatever you want to term it, paid content from a brand is often seen as less than editorial. So it's editorial minus this, minus this, minus this. Uh, but what I've seen is in, in the best cases of branded content, it's editorial plus because you use that same idea. You're like, let's go find a story. And, and I mean, you said it really well, just a way better budget. Like, can you imagine, I can imagine we've talked to people on the editorial side of the business and like, what if you had a few hundred thousand dollars like to tell a story or $20,000 or a thousand dollars, like any sort of funding. Uh, I think there's this interesting opportunity in branded content of brands funding uh, important stories that couldn't be told otherwise due to the media landscape that exists right now. Yeah. 
I don't even think you necessarily need to look at it as branded content anymore. I think it's just everything is content. Right. Um, everyone's time and attention is focused on either watching Netflix when they get home from work or playing Fortnite. And, and every publisher out there, every brand out there needs to compete for that attention. And if you can just tell a really good story that doesn't necessarily just hawk a product, that's ultimately going to win the day no matter what. So we're really committed to just using that as our blueprint. Um, and if we can find partners like Dove who are committed to just amazing storytelling that have our same values, then it's a win-win for everybody. That's great. Um, well, that's that's cool. It was, uh, it was good to hear from both of you. It's interesting to learn about the Brand Newsroom, about Mike, about millennial research. Uh, I, we, do a, we do a book club at Pressboard because we're geeks. And so uh, we, and we love stories. So I want to ask you, so we recommend a book each month. So maybe we'll use one of your book suggestions in the future. So I'd like to ask what your favorite book of all time is. My favorite book is Dracula by Bram Stoker. Yeah, why? Um, for its time, it was a very creative way to tell a story. I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's all written in um, POV of the person who is either writing the letter or the diary entry, or you'll see press clippings from something that happened mm. in order to build this story. You are omniscient, and the characters in the story are not. Mm. It's also like one of the best suspense thrillers of all time. Right. And it's vampires, right? So yeah, and it's vampires. It's, it's vampires. hot. It's and everything. Hit. It's everything. Yeah. Favorite book of all time. Um, I can only think in terms of what I've read recently. Uh, I loved Bad Blood, which is all about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, I read that book, I think, in two days, which is very fast for me. Um, I think for most people, two days is fast to read a book. Um, and I thought it was just incredibly interesting. I mean, it's interesting in and of itself, the topic, but just... Um, looking at a company who everyone had a certain perception of and, and reality was very different um, from what people actually perceive. So just, you know, I think the way I have, have taken the learnings from that is really just being genuine, being humble, um, and making sure that anytime you're in business that you're being as transparent and, and forthright as you can. Yeah. Great. Well, Nina, Nick, thank you so much for being on the program. It was you great so to have you. Thanks for having us, Jared. Jared. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Jared. The Science of Storytelling is a podcast by Pressboard. It's hosted by Jared Grimm with design by Phil Chung and production by me, Leah Bjornsson. If you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or sign up for our monthly newsletter. Visit PressboardMedia.com to learn more.